This is Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Hey, everybody. Today, you'll be hearing the breakout session by Dr. George Yancey from our Apologetics Canada conference earlier this year. Now, in the recording, I introduced him as the professor of sociology from University of North Texas. Now, that was true at the time. He has since transitioned to Baylor University. Now, without further ado, then, uh, let me get out of the way, and here's Dr. George Yancey. You're listening to So Many Christians, So Few Lions by Dr. George Yancey. Dr. Yancey is Professor of Sociology at University of North Texas in Denton, Texas. This breakout session was recorded at the 2019 Apologetics Canada Conference on March 2nd at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. For more resources, please visit us at apologeticscanada.com. So uh, this morning I talked about racial issues, and now because you're not supposed to talk about race, religion, and politics and polite company, and I hit two out of the three. So, uh, so now we're going to talk about religion, we're going to talk about uh, anti-Christian bias. Now, uh, let me be clear that uh, we're looking at anti-Christian bias, it's not the same thing as looking at racial issues. So there, there, is there overlap? Yes, there's overlap, but it's not exactly the same thing, and I, and, uh, I want to get that across. Uh, and also, my research that I did was research that I did in the United States. I think it translates well to Canada, but I haven't done actual research in Canada. So, so you know, I can speculate. But, you know, as I present this, you can tell me whether or not some of the trends that I'm documenting are also true in Canada. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see how well it translates. So if it does, then my thing that suggests is that... Uh, you know, there are certain insights we can gain about where anti-Christian bias or Christianophobia comes from, uh, both in the United States and in Canada, if, if this tracks well uh, the way it, I think that it does. So that's what I hope to do. Uh, and then I should have some time for some questions uh, afterwards. And so I think the pres- presentation is short enough to allow that. All right, so let's go ahead and let's, uh, I'm, gonna add, I'm gonna address three questions. First question is, is anti-Christian animosity widespread? In other words, is it just a few, you know, old curmudgeons who, you know, them darn Christians, you know, kind of like the, uh, the ghosts have to be caught by Scooby-Doo, those darn kids, you know, that sort of thing. Scooby-Doo? Don't remember? Okay. <laughs> Do they have Scooby-Doo in Canada? <laughs> yeah. Or woo! Uh, or is it a few young curmudgeons? Who knows? You know, in other words, is there, I mean, are we talking about a few people who, yeah, they... They're jerks, but it's really not a big problem. Second question is, is the animosity unreasonable? Maybe there's animosity, but maybe, you know, hey, we Christians have not always been on the right side of things. We've not always done what's right. And maybe we deserve some of this animosity. Maybe it's a reasonable level of animosity given, you know, the fact that we are fallen creatures and, and that we mess things up too. And then the third question is, are the consequences of animosity? Maybe, yeah, people don't li- like Christians, but they don't do anything about it. They just don't like, you know, maybe you lose some friendships, but, you know, there's no real consequence. It doesn't cost you your job. It doesn't cost you, you know, your standing in society. You know, it's, you know, it's, just, it's just there. So I want to address those three questions in this talk, and that's going to be my goal. Now, I am what uh, sociologists call a mixed methods person, which means I believe in quantitative and qualitative work. Quantitative is when you did, you know, you take a survey, and you have a lot of respondents, and you try to get a probability sample, and you try to analyze it, and that's sort of like if you're in the airplane and you're at 5,000 feet and you're looking down and you see all these people moving, you see the patterns, you're documenting the patterns. Qualitative is when you do interviews or focus groups, and you, so you get down among the people and talk with them and find out what's happening. Both are valuable. I'm going to start off with the quantitative work because that's going to add, that's going to address our first question, which is how widespread is this? And to do that, uh, I want to tell you about uh, a data set that I, that I found. And in this data set, they, uh, they have these this questions. They ask, they ask questions of several different groups. And it's about how much you like people in those groups. And they, it's called thermometer questions. So it goes from zero to 100. So zero is, you know, you hate them. 
and 100 is your level. Now, I must admit, I don't know who Canadians love or hate, so I have a hard time you know, finding uh, a good uh, illustration for this. Uh, I, I, can only, you know, I have to go back to the fact that I went to the University of Texas at Austin, and so for us, the Oklahoma Sooners would be a zero. You know, they, they, you know there's, there's, there's no good things that come out of Oklahoma. Uh, you know. Uh, you would go there. Hey, we're one-on-one -on -one with them last year, okay? So we beat them, they beat us. Uh, and Texas Longhorns is 100. So, you know, so how do you feel about different groups? Now, what I was curious about is, how do people rank these groups, uh, especially in relationships to other groups? And so I was looking at just religious and racial groups. For example, uh, someone may rank all groups 95, except for one group they rank at 90. Now you think, they rank them at 90, they just love them, but they rank everyone else 95. So really, they don't like them. It's just that this person is just overly cheerful. You know, you know those people, they get annoying sometimes. Uh, or someone may rank all groups 15, but another group they rank, one group they rank 25. 25, oh man, they don't really like that group, but they rank everyone else 15. So relative, you know, they're like, oh, I hate everyone on there, I don't hate them quite much, I hate everyone else, you know? I mean, you can have that. I care about how they rank in relationships. So we created a measure where we took the average, and we looked whether or not you rate a group of standard deviation below the average. If you don't know what standard deviation is, that's fine. Just know it's lower, significantly lower, and that's all you need to know. Uh, you know, if you want more, more about that, take a stats class. Uh, and we ranked standard deviation below the average of all the other racial and religious groups. Uh, and so we wanted to know whether or not people had a, uh, you know, really didn't like that group relative to other groups. So. Here's what we got, came up with. You know, so here are, several, uh, here are the, some of the racial and religious groups that we looked. And the way to interpret this is the group that people like the least are the atheists. You know, over 45% rank them a standard deviation below their average. Okay? That, that's just the reality of it, that there's still a lot of animosity towards atheists. But now look at Christian fundamentalists and Muslims. Their rankings is about the same. Uh, between 30-35%. Now, let me ask you this. Maybe this is not true in Canada, but in the United States we talk about Islamophobia quite a bit. Do they do that here in Canada? The percentage of people who don't like Muslims, the percentage don't like Christian fundamentalists. So if Islamophobia is a problem, guess what? Animosity towards Christian is widespread enough to be a problem. Now, it's not the same people, though. Here, let me show you something. Go ahead. All right. I compared Christians to those who, who don't like them. In other words, those who rank them a standard deviation below. And let's look at the first four categories. Uh, and I, I, I catch this as believe the Bible is the word of God. Uh, I could have used other measures, but that was good enough. 44% uh, of that group is male. 52.6% of those who don't like Christians are male. Half are white. Over 70% of those who don't like Christians are white. Uh, one out of five of Christians have a bachelor's degree. Almost half of those who don't have animosity, who have animosity towards Christians, have a bachelor's degree. Uh, not quite 10% make more than $100,000, American dollars, so worth a little bit more than Canadian dollars. About a quarter of those animosity have, make more than $100,000. When social scientists talk about stratification, what do they talk about? They talk about sex, race, education, income. In all four of those categories, those with animosity, they do better than those with Christians, than, than those who are Christians, which indicates that those with anti-Christian animosity per capita have more social power. They're more likely white, male, highly educated, and wealthy. Now, they're not as large as a percentage of the population, uh, or actually, they're actually starting to, to catch up uh, with this category, but they have more social power. Now, here's one, well, here's one thing it means. If you're wealthy and rich, and you don't like a group, uh, 
you may have ways to lash out at them that's not violent. If you are poor and uneducated, because those who don't like Muslims tend to be white male but poor and uneducated, you're probably going to engage in violence. Because that's, that's the way you can express it. But you can express it in other ways. And I'm not saying one is worse than the other. I mean, I don't want to get beat up in order to, I want to get fired from my job. But I'm just saying that it's going to be different. And, there, and uh, you know, if there are consequences. All right, the other two categories. Uh, about one-sixth of the Christians are politically liberal uh, compared to uh, almost half of those with anti-Christian animosities. Uh, you know, 43% attend church weekly. I wish that was higher. Uh, only 13% animosity. So two other things we know about those animosities. They're more likely to be politically liberal and not to be very religious. Well, where do you find powerful people who are politically liberal and not very religious? I say you find them in industries that create our culture. Entertainment, the arts, and we're going to see academia, uh, media. And so where in a Christian animosity is most likely to resonate is going to be in the places that our culture is created. And I think that has some very important implications for how it can manifest itself. So, you know, the first question, you know, how widespread is it? Well, it seems to be fairly widespread. Second question is, is this unreasonable? You know, maybe people just, you know, are irritated because, you know, Christians proselytize too much or, you know, some, some Christians, you know, do act in bigoted ways, you know. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a reasonable level of, you know, if Christians would just do this, I'd be okay with them. But they don't. Have to, you know, so maybe that, that, that's what's happening. Well, one thing that we did was we, you know, now we're getting, now, you know, we're at the 5,000 level, now we're getting down to the people. So we did a survey. And, but this survey was not a probability sample, it was a smaller sample, but we, so we asked open-ended questions that we could then code. And I'm not gonna go all into the results of the survey, uh, but I'm gonna show you, uh, you know, as you, uh, as you read through the survey, you know, me being a Christian reading through the survey, you know, I got the joy of reading some of the comments of, of some of these individuals. So first, let me just show you the sample that, that we have. Uh, sample is, you know, almost all white. Uh, Oh, you know, almost six, when three and a five is our male, uh, over half make $75,000 a year. Uh, 43% have a graduate degree and about a six have a doctorate. Highly educated group. Uh, yeah, the next one, please. Highly irrelig irreligious group, uh, three-fourths are atheists or agnostic and only 2.2%, last one, please, are born-again Christians. So this is hitting all the marks. We didn't ask about politics, but it hits all the marks of what we just saw of who has anti-Christian animosity, right? White, male, educated, wealthy, irreligious. All right, so this is the sample that we, at, we, that we use to ask these open-ended questions. So what did we see? Well, let me show you the joy of what I got to read when I got to read all of some, uh, some, uh, some of these uh, uh, answers, some of the hostile quotes, go ahead. I want them all to die in the fire. Houses of religion should be designated as nuclear test zones. Kill them all. Let their gods sort them out. You know, I like gifts, but probably not a frontal lobotomy. I mean, that's not exactly what I was looking for for Christmas. Uh, line them up and shoot them. Uh, and this was, you know, as someone says race, this is always a classic. The only good Christian is a dead Christian, because that comes from a line, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. And that's not the exact quote, but still, it's, it's the sentiment that matters, right? That's not, those are not the only hostile quotes. Trust me, they're not. In fact, <clears throat> the reason why the book was named So Many Christians, So Few Lines is uh, there was a lot, there was about four, five, maybe six or seven quotes that had some version of Christians being fed to lions. And so I, I punched in, this is before the book was out, So Many Christians, So Few Lions. And I found out that you can buy bumper stickers that said So Many Christians, So Few Lions. Uh, men's shirts that so many Christians so few lines. Women's shirts, kids' shirts, and yes, onesies. Baby onesies say so many Christians, so few lions. Uh, <clears throat> when I try to illustrate, you know, Christianophobia in my uh, in my class, I teach sociology religion. Uh, I give them these quotes, uh, you know, so many Jews, so few ovens, and you know, I let them ruminate on that and on how anti-Semitic it is. I said, oh, sorry, my mistake. That was the real quote. Here's a real quote. Because it seems to me that if you're joking about torturing people to death, you've crossed over into the realm of unreasonable animosity. 
You know, it seems to be almost by fault. Even if these people are jerks, you cross over into joking about torturing people to death to me cross over unreasonable animosity. Now, in, in, the, in, in my academic book, I, I, I show that, uh, that, you know, I use a criteria for dehumanization. I show that, you know, these comments really are dehumanizing. You know, that you really are, are taking the human element away from Christians. I'm not going to do that today uh, for time and to allow for questions. But what I'm going to do is, is uh, use some quotes to make a couple more points uh, out of this. So one of the points is that a lot of this comes down to fear, hatred, and fear. For example, I believe that the definition of evil. So for this respondent, you know, that's it. That's what evil uh, concerned Christians. Uh, the only positive thing they could do is cease to exist. I wish I could eliminate them from the universe. You know, this is one of the things where I'm glad this person is not God. Uh, you know, uh, this is an interesting quote. They, along with Muslim fundamentalists, represent the single greatest threat to the survival of the human species. Listen to the fear of this. Those who preach Armageddon and see it as a necessary event to achieve their desired ends are not to be trusted with the reins of power, especially nuclear capable states. I mean, this, this person compares us uh, to Muslim extremists, and we know the image that is there, uh, and has crafts this image of, hey, we got our hands on nuclear power, we'll just blow everything up. And that fear is tied to that hatred. You can see these sort of quotes. And so there's a great deal of hatred and fear that's tied into this animosity. And then another thing I want to talk, you know, I just want to use these, and once again, you know, I can, I can spend an hour talking, you know, pulling out certain lessons from these quotes, uh, some of these dynamics of, 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 uh, of, of Christianophobia. But another thing I want to talk about is stereotypes. So uh, some of the uh, stereotypical images. Look at this quote. I told Christian friends, not Christian right, my beliefs, and they don't say a whole lot. They seem respectful of my feelings to my face, but probably talk about me behind my back, even though if they're really faithful, believe I'm going to hell. Now, did you, hear, did you see here what happened? These people are not, have not mistreated this person. This person is imagining their mistreatment. This person is operating on this sort of stereotype that they have. There are stereotypical images that people have that they cannot easily get rid of. Uh, they're dangerous, remind me very much of brown shirts straight out of Nazi Germany. So once again, you know, I haven't seen very many Christians in brown shirts, but this is sort of the stereotype. And then this one is really interesting. They're generally nice people, but that might be because I'm white. In other words, this person is, they've not done anything, but the person says, well, I'm white, that's why they're nice to me. Because if, if they had a situation where they said, well, I saw these Christians mistreat this person of color, they could have said that. Didn't say that. Said, so, well, they're, they're, they're nice to me, it's because I'm white. What sort of stereotypes is this person playing off of to make such a comment? And then one last one. Their agenda would include making America a theocracy. Theocracy came up a lot in my comments, by the way. Uh, which frightens me as they would take us back to the dark ages, politically, culturally, educationally, and morally. And what happens is for some of my respondents, they believe that what Christians want to do is go back to you know, the dark ages I think literally as far as, you know, hey, let's get rid of our, our technology and let's just go and, and, and have, you know, king, emperor, and all that sort of stuff. I think some people actually believe that of Christians. These sort of stereotypes is part of a parcel of what we're seeing here. And I would argue, you know, if you're stereotyping people based on just what you think and not what they actually do, as at least companies show, then this is unreasonable as well. So I think that we can make the argument that a lot of this fear and hatred is an unreasonable fear and hatred. Uh, so then this is one more question. Does it really matter? Because maybe what, well, here's what's the possibility. Okay, well, who tends to have Christianophobia? People who are progressive, who are highly educated, who are perhaps more refined. So they may actually have this animosity, but don't do anything with it. They don't mistreat people with it because, you know, they're, they're, they're progressive, they're tolerant, and, and they're highly educated. So is there evidence that, uh, that Christian phobia may actually lead to uh, anti-Christian actions, actions against Christians? So to tackle that question, actually, actually I did this before I started studying Christian phobia. And you know, it, it's part of what made me want to study Christian phobia, but not totally. Uh, I was interested in academic bias. 
And so to, to examine that, I constructed a survey and I sent this question. Assume that your faculty is hiring a new professor. Below is a list of possible characteristics of, the, of this new hire. Many of the characteristics that you cannot directly inquire the person's candidate. In other words, and this is the United States, you can't ask people certain things. You can't ask them about, for example, whether they're married or not. Or you can't ask them about their sexual preference. Or you can't ask them about their religion. You, know, you can't ask about these things. You know. and if you do and you don't hire them, lawsuit is coming. Uh, however, you're able to learn these characteristics about a candidate, but that makes you more or less likely to support their hire. Please rate your attitude on a scale in which one indicates the characteristics greatly damages your support to hire a candidate, four is characteristics does not make a difference, and seven indicates the characteristics greatly enhances your support to hire the candidate. Now, just, just you know, for those of you who have a little social science training, a little inside ball, the four is important because it gives you an out. You can say, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I don't care what your religion is, I give you a four. It doesn't enhance or support. All right. I also gave a second out. Uh, if you don't understand the characters, please indicate the non-applicable. So if someone says, I don't understand what evangelical is, I'm just going to put non-applicable. Right? So in other words, I'm not trying to trap people. This is research where I'm trying to get at uh, what, what is actually occurring. All right, and here are the characteristics that I asked them about. And so there's 26 of them. Uh, here was my, uh, I don't know, assumption or prediction. I knew as a social scientist that there actually were Christian sociologists organizations. I knew of no Republican sociologist organizations. So I thought there's going to be bias. This could probably be some religious bias, but the bias is going to be political. That's where the bias is going to be. You know, people, people may tolerate Christians and hate Republicans. So, so that, was, that was what I was thinking. So was I right? Let's find out. Oh, I'm sorry, before we find out, just a little tease there. Uh, these are the disciplines that I, that I actually uh, studied. So you can take a look at them. Mostly, you know, sciences and humanities. <clears throat> you can argue that, you know, I'm not really truly doing academia because I'm not asking businesses and engineering. But this is where knowledge creation goes, right? I mean, sciences and humanities is where a lot of the knowledge creation is. So, no, it's not all of academia, but it is the sciences and humanities that's represented. Okay, now we'll find out. Okay. So, of those 26, I, I just looked at these six. Uh, you know, fundamentalists, evangelicals, NRA members, Republicans, Muslims, and atheists. All right? So, so comparing them. Uh, the group that, uh, you know, this half is damages. It, you know, whether they say it, whether it greatly or slightly damages their, their willingness to hire, you can see on this half, and, or enhances on the other half. And the group that damages the most is the fundamentalists. Second is evangelicals. Uh-oh, my prediction seems wrong. Uh, NRA members, uh, you know, uh, between 30 and 40% on NRA members. Uh, Republicans is down to 20%. So it, it appears that, you know, the group that's hated is the conservative Protestants, the group that's tolerated is the Republicans. Uh, and then you can see how, you know, about 5% for Muslims, uh, about 5% for atheists, it damages. Uh, enhances, there's very little enhances, except for it's interesting for the atheists, is actually higher than the damages. Look at, look at that. So atheists, it actually works to your good to be an atheist to go for an academic job. Uh, for the others, uh, there's these great damages. So what is happening is that uh, Christians, conservative Protestant Christians, when they go out for a job in academia, do so at a disadvantage that there is, you know, that people actually state. I mean, I gave a question for people that actually got to say, yes, I'm less willing to hire you if I find out you're an evangelical. And people, about 40% of the, of the uh, academics said, yeah. Yeah, I'm less, I'm less willing to hire you if I find out you're an evangelical. And yes, technically you can ask that. Uh, and maybe, you know, no one finds out. Or maybe, maybe they check you on social media. Or some, some other way of finding, finding out. Uh, and... That, that has happened. I've been on search committees where, where stuff like that has happened. Or they see the college you came from. It was a Christian college. You know, that stuff does happen. So, so yeah, I mean, technically you, you can't ask them, but uh, that's really not what's important here. What's important is Christianophobia appears to feed into uh, actions against Christians, at least in academia. Now, if it's just this study, then a person can say, well, you know, 
hey, Yancey's a Christian, and, and he, you know, he was looking for this, and so of course he did this. And even though all the things I told you about the study to make sure, you know, I want to make sure that this is a fair study, because it's important to me to do research well, uh, people could still say that. So, but there's other evidence supporting this academic bias. Uh, for example, Inbar Lammers did a very similar study, and they uh, used only, looked at only one discipline, but looked at things such as uh, whether you, you would uh, give them tenure or, or, or publish an article or give them a grant. And they found basically the same thing, that the, the bias was very strong against those who did not conform uh, more politically than religiously, but we know that religion is more important than, than politics. Uh, Toby and Weinberg, who are Jew, so you won't say, well, you know, uh, they're doing it because they're Christian. No, they're Jewish. And they did a survey of academics, and they find that the, the, the group the academics uh, hate the most are evangelicals. You know, they, they had, a, had a scale. Uh, Rothman and Lischer had a, did a really interesting work. They looked at where people uh, wind up in jobs. Now, they didn't ask about religion, but they asked about politics. And what they found is that politics didn't matter when you wind up in your job, except when it came to social conserv conservatives, uh, issues such as abortion and homosexuality. The academics who were conservative on those issues wound up in lower status jobs, controlling for everything, everything they could than other academics. Now, that's technically not religion, but we kind of know that uh, Christians, are more, Christians are more likely to be conservative on those social issues than other academics. In fact, uh, there's, there is some research out there that shows that, especially in the social sciences, when they are conservative, it tends to be on those sort of issues. Uh, so what we see here is the results of what these academics have said they would do. They said that they would uh, be less willing to hire you, and the results is that if you're a conservative Christian who believes that abortion is wrong, then you're less likely to get a higher status position than others. And then there's the Mike Adams case. Now, uh, I point out the Mike Adams case because his university actually took him to court, or he took them to court, and didn't settle. I know of other cases where they settle, and therefore I'm not free to talk about them uh, because they were settled with the understanding that it would not go public. And so I, I've talked with people. You know, when you write stuff like this, people approach you. So I know of other cases. But this one I can talk about. Mike Adams, criminologist, atheist, became a Christian. You may or may not have heard of him, you know. Uh, so he began to write about, you know, his beliefs as a Christian, and, and, you know, he's fairly conservative on a lot of the issues you're not supposed to be, such as abortion, homosexuality, and he writes about it. Uh, he still does his academic work, but he also does some blogging and does some writing about it. And he's, you know, he says stuff that I would not say. Uh, he's a little bit exuberant, but okay, you know, hey, there's a lot of academics who say, who are exuberant about their issues, too. Well, he had tenure, but he went for full professor, and they denied him. And he thought, he's looking at his record and goes, what, what's up with this? And so he sued. Uh, his lawsuit found, found out what, what, what happened was when they were putting together his packet to go for tenure to show to the committee, they put in some of his writings, his non-academic writings, where he was, you know, uh, talking about homosexuality and abortion, uh, which, of course, shaped the result. And then when they had to put it up to the provost to make the decision, they took those writings out so the provost wouldn't see what they had done. So they basically, you know, want to make sure that this Christian did not get full professor. He won his case, uh, and, you know, and it's kind of interesting watching now. Now he can almost get away with anything, because it's like, hey, what are you going to do, sue me again? You know, so, uh, so he can kind of get away with anything. But he, it's still, that took like two or three years. I forget how exactly how long for the court case to go through there. Uh, so, you know, that's my, you know, that, I can use that as, you know, a case study of how Christianophobia can manifest itself. So it does appear that Christianophobia actually does have an impact on how people treat Christians, especially those who are in positions, such as academia, who are likely to have it. Now, you might say, well, wouldn't we see it in other places? Like, shouldn't we see it in the media? Shouldn't we see it in, in Hollywood? Shouldn't we see it in the arts? And we should. But who studies those things? Academics. The people who are likely to have Christianophobia, are they going to be looking for it in Hollywood or the arts or things of this nature? Uh, I actually just came out with a book uh, that looked at media bias. And, uh, and I document what I thought I would document, is that members of the media, when it comes to shaping a story, uh, are going to shape it differently if the, if the people in the story are Christian or not. And you know, one of the classic cases 
is, uh, is if there's a shooting at a religious institution. If it's a mosque, the story's going to be more likely to be about hate crimes. If it's a, a, a church, it's going to be more likely about gun control. You know, that these sort of differences, you know, come, come out. So, you know, uh, that's, that's, there's, a, there's another research that shows some of the same thing, but there's not a lot in the media. But why would you expect that if academics have this sort of bias? You wouldn't expect that. You're not going to expect to see a lot of Christianophobia stories or, or research with academics who tend to suffer from Christianophobia. You know, at least some, not all of them, but at least enough of them. And if enough of them do, then it's hard to get published. I know. Uh, so, anyways, uh, the, the, you know, there is, the evidence is there that it does actually have an impact. So let's go back to our three questions. All right, first question. Is anti-Christian animosity widespread? As much as anti-Muslim animosity, but with more powerful individuals. Now, once again, you know, what that may lead to, you know, if less powerful individuals have anti-Muslim animosity, they may be more likely to attack you, to beat you up. So there's probably less violence with anti-Christian animosity, but probably more job loss with anti-Christian animosity. Uh, second, question, second question, is the animosity unreasonable? And I argue a non-trivial level of is unreasonable because you can't just say that 30% of the country has an unreasonable level. I just have 30% that have you know, a standard deviation below the average, okay? You can't say that they all do. And I, I've not had an opportunity to collect sort of data that allows me to, to assign a percentage. But I, I suspect it's very, that, it, that it's not a trivial level. Uh, especially if you can start selling baby onesies that says so many Christians, so few lions. Uh, you know, this is not just one or two cranks. Uh, that, that, you know, that, that there is this sort of animosity that's out there. Uh, and, you know, I go back, you know, if nothing else, you start joking about torturing people to death, you've reached an unreasonable level of animosity. Uh, is there a consequence of this animosity? At least in academia, because there are Christians pay a price for that animosity. And I can, I can only say at least in academia because academics are not studying Christianophobia in Hollywood, media, the arts. Uh, they're not studying in areas where we probably would find it. I suspect that if they do, we will find that Christians pay a price in those areas. I've read stories from Christian uh, uh, actors and actresses who talk about, you know, hey, you know, there is a price to be paid if you're a Christian, uh, conservative Christian in, in Hollywood. But, of course, that's not research per se. Uh, but we know it's, it is the case in, that, in, in Hollywood. So this answers these three questions. And you can see some of the patterns that, that exist from our data uh, in, in the United States. I suspect some of these same patterns are happening in Canada, and that might explain some of the things that you all are concerned about in Canada today. With that, I will open it up to questions. All righty. Thank you, Dr. Yancey. Again, we got the mics on the sides. Uh, you can step on up and go ahead and ask a question. If you have any mobility issues, you can just raise your hand and I can bring a mic to you. And looks like we got some people heading on over. In the meantime, I'll, I'll start us off though, Doctor. Uh, Dr. Yancey, if you're a Christian who's in a school, you're hoping to study something and you wanna be a light on campus, you don't necessarily want to get lit up in tutorial or lecture, but you do want to be a light. How do you recommend going about uh, being a Christian in that setting? Yeah, uh, if you're a Christian in graduate school, I actually wrote a Christianity Today article on this called Inside the Academic Flying Den. You know, there's certain things I suggest. First, be excellent. You know, any academics, I mean, that, that's just, you just be excellent. And don't look for bias. If it comes, let, you know, force people to show their bigots and, and, then, and then confront it. Uh, I also suggest getting a support network, a support system, a church, a local group. Uh, I, I happen to be the, uh, advi grad the academic advisor for a Christian graduate student group right now. Uh, so there's some of them on campuses. So get support. Uh, look for mentors, uh, Christian mentors, uh, if you can. They may not be in your field, and they may not be at your college, but have someone you can talk to. Uh, there's, a, there's a young man I'm mentoring right now who is a sociologist at Ohio State. And he, you know, he has a question, he comes and talks to me about it and tries to figure some things out. Uh, so, and also, see if you can use your, your different perspective as a Christian to find an innovative way to study what you're studying, and, but do it in, in the confines of that uh, discipline's nomenclature. And so, what I present this morning, uh, as I said, I've written an academic book where I use uh, uh, 
group, group threat theory and contact hypothesis to argue that, you know, if we have to have a dialogue in our country to deal with racial issues. So, you know, I can talk in the, in the nomenclature of sociology, even though I'm using Christian ideas. And so think about how your, how your Christian faith may give you a different perspective than it's not seen elsewhere. And so those are some of the suggestions I would have. In your uh, surveys, did you find any difference between the social sciences uh, departments versus the physical sciences in, in their levels of animosity? Yes, great question. But more in the social sciences. Social sciences and humanities. Now, they were there in the physical sciences. So, you know, so whereas, if I remember correctly, uh, if you look at that, you know, about 40% of the academics would uh, be less willing to hire evangelical. I think that goes down to about 25% when you look at the hard science, it's something with 20 to 25%. So it's, so it's less, but it's still notable and still there. I don't know if you can answer this, but just listening to you talk, I, I keep kind of wondering, it, it's not really surprising to me. I think if you took a group of maybe Christian business people and, and um, asked them about their hiring practices, they might lean towards hiring Christians? I don't know for sure. So I'm just kind of wondering, I know it's illegal, but is it so wrong? And it's, in a way, it's not that surprising. Yeah. Okay. You know, right, I can't answer how Christians business people would do, but note the difference. What if, what if we did that and what happened happened is that the Christian business people, being a Christian enhances your hire. That's different than, because there really isn't a lot of enhancement was more as it damages. And so what I suspect might happen, once again, this is speculation, is that, yeah, if you have a bunch of Christian business people, they find out someone's a Christian, they're more excited about having them. But what's not happening, what I don't think is going to happen is they find out they're an atheist and they're less one hired because they're an atheist. It's just that they're... And I think, that, I think that's a very different dynamic uh, than, than uh, you know, being, being wanting to hire people who are like you is a different dynamic than not wanting to hire people because you don't like them. I think, I think that's a different dynamic. Yes. I find from your talk that uh, you suggest that there are different areas or different careers in our society that can impact uh, quite significantly our uh, perspectives on who Christians are. Do you have some recommendations for young people choosing careers where they might go to have a, you know, the, the greatest impact on the faith and yeah. establishing the church? You know, uh, I hesitate to, to give sort of an answer because people are called to different things. Uh, so I'll just leave it this way. If you feel called to going into a cultural institution such as academia or the arts or, or things of that nature, uh, you may want to consider doing, going into the mainstream and not just a Christian college or a Christian art. And the reason why is that's how you're going to... Part of what happens is if you're there, your presence is there, it becomes harder for people to stereotype Christians. And so, you know, maybe, that, maybe we'll actually get a character in a movie of a Christian who's not, you know, either evil or an idiot. Uh, you know, uh, maybe, we'll get some, maybe we'll get things like that because you have a Christian writer there who says, well, that's not really how Christians think. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, maybe you can get some of that. And so I would, I would just say, you know, if you're called to that, and if you're not called to that, no one should go into academia if you're not called to it because it'll chew you up and spit you out. Uh, but if you're called to it, then think about whether or not you're willing to, uh, to go into a secular uh, area, uh, uh, college, or if you're called to doing uh, arts. Uh, think about whether or not you're willing to, to, to participate. Uh, I just got an email a couple of days ago from a friend who says, you know, we want to do play, but we want to make sure, a Christian play, but we want to make sure it's not just one of those normal, have feel good Christian. We want to deal with real life. I'm like, yes, you know, let's find some really good writers and let's, you know, let me see, let's, let's see if we can get that out. Because we really need good Christian art, good Christian media, good Christian academics. We, we need that. And that will help change the, the culture a little bit just because the presence was there. Hi, I've got a, a race question, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, do you find voices like, uh, I'm thinking like Larry Elder or Candace Owens to be helpful in this conversation, or are they more destructive than they are beneficial? You know, 
I try not to look at voices whether or not they're destructive as far as because of whether I agree with them or not. Uh, they're a voice and they voice a certain opinion. And that opinion has got to have to be taken into consideration as we have this sort of discussion. Uh, so in that sense, if they're willing to participate in a conversation, then, then that's what I, that's why I weigh. And so if they are, then let's have that conversation. If they're not, if all they're going to do is stay back and snipe, no matter, no matter whether it's them or no matter whether it's, uh, oh, oh, I don't know, uh, uh, Jesse Jackson or, or, or someone like that, that really dates me. Uh, uh, then, then, you know, then, then that, that is what, the, what is destructive. The unwillingness to have the conversation is what I'm looking at at this point. So bring in your ideas, but you know, let's, let's see if we can work things out. And if your ideas are wild and they come into uh, conversation with others, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out that they're wild, and then we're going to try to try to find a, a reasonable ground in which we can address it. Yes? Hey, so I was a little hesitant about this question just because I don't know if you can fully go into depth about this. Uh, it's not about academics, but what about Christian, uh, Christianophobia in family life? Because um, personally, uh, myself, like my family is not Christian and my mother especially uh, is quite against it and presents those biases and that creates a difficult dynamic um, so, like, how would you approach that, and how would you try and, um, you know, like, the Bible wants, uh, commands us to, like, honor our parents and, and love one another. So how would you approach that? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that that's a very difficult uh, issue to deal with, dealing with one's own family members. Uh, and, of course, as a sociologist, I look, at it, I look at institutions, whereas for you it's very personal if, you're, if your mother has... Has this, and you know, obviously, I don't have you know a right answer. I know that the Bible does wants to honor our parents, but also when we become adults, you know, we make our own decisions. And and of course, aren't you know, honoring your parents does not mean that you give up the faith because your 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 parents want you to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the best I can suggest is you know to try to be as as good of a living witness as possible. Mm-hmm. And so where you can honor them, you can, but where you don't. Where you can't, when she asks for something that, that you really can't honor, then respectfully let her know you can't honor that because of your faith. I assume you are an adult, uh, yeah. so 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 you do have the right to say no to 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 your parents, especially if they're asking something that is that you know that you can't do as as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to, but always as much as possible, try to do it in a respectful way. It may you know. One day, and pray for them, obviously, and, and one day perhaps they'll find salvation, but even if they don't, you have set a witness for, the, for them to, have, to see what that could look like. Thank you. Is it time? Okay. Oh, sorry. Um, Dr. Yancey, in a, in a more general sense, I think Canada's even ahead of the U.S. in ways in... Um, um, yeah, Christians being persecuted. Um, I'm a teacher. Uh, my wife is as well, and and there's uh, yeah legal cases and things where um, uh, a local Christian university, Trinity Western, uh, was not able to have a uh, a law um, program because of their Christian stance. Um, as a as a teacher too, I've heard very soon it's coming that we're going to have to agree with a certain uh, sexual orientation and gender. I, identity uh, frame of mind, um, that kids should have a sex change if they want at an early age. And, uh, and, and can you just comment for, on, in a more general sense, like, uh, I guess for the, those of us who aren't maybe in academics, but uh, yeah, what, yeah. That's the, oh, yeah, when, do we, when do we stand I, I, and when I, do we fight, yeah, I, when I, do we I'm, not? I'm, I'm a little familiar with that case and you know, we have uh, similar cases in the United States. Uh, in, in the United States, uh, there are Christian clubs that are being kicked off campus because they will not acknowledge uh, non-Christians as leaders. Uh, and so there's, there are some similarities, although I'll, I'll take it that you're right as far as canopy further along. Uh, I think in the larger sense, Christians have to think about uh, reinforcing their own communities. Uh, that, that we, you know, we should fight against 
uh, anti-Christian laws, anti-Christian rulings, and Christianophobic. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that we give up politics, but we can't rely on it. That we're going to have to strengthen our own communities, uh, find communities we can raise our kids in the faith. Uh, and, and, you know, th- we have a larger conversation on what that means. But, uh, but you know, uh, we are going, we are in, we're going to be in a society where, uh, where more and more we're going to be looked at as an undesirable. Uh, and, and that's reality. But we, if we can be a community and if we can offer something to society, we can, I, think, I think that's our best chance to ride it out. Uh, honestly, I think some of the uh, tendencies that we're seeing in the secular societies cannot cannot hold on. Uh, and there's reasons why I say that. Uh, I, I don't think they can sustain themselves. But in, in, in the current situation and for the immediate future, they're here and it's going to, you know, we're going to have to deal with some of those realities. And there's no easy answer. I mean, there's no way we can uh, enforce, a, enforce a law that's, that, that is fair when you have the sort of bias that's out there. Comment on those tendencies that might be on their way out. <laughs> uh, well, one one of the things is that uh, birth rates. Uh, religious people have more have more kids. If we kept our kids uh, uh, in a society where where the numbers are falling, uh, that would eventually would catch up. Now, that's probably not going to mean anything in in our lifetimes, but in a generation or two, that that would be very meaningful. I would I would also argue that uh, some of the uh, well, I'll just go ahead and, and, and go here. I, I generally don't like to talk about things such as sexual identity, but uh, I'm convinced in 10 years from now, there's going to be a slew of lawsuits of kids who've been transitioned who do not want to be transitioned. And, and, and uh, the, uh, you know, the shock, I mean, think about MeTooism on steroids, uh, you know, I, I, and, I, and, and, and that's going to be a, a big shock to the system when, when, when that occurs. Uh, don't expect that next year. Uh, but uh, some of the things that I'm reading, and I'm seeing these, st- st- these stories too often for me to dismiss it as this is just a couple of nutcases, that, that kids are being influenced into taking hormones and being mutilated who are going to regret that in 10 years, and they're going to look for revenge because they, the, the issues that they needed to deal with were never truly dealt with. Uh, but we got to weather that out. You know, we got to keep our communities together strong so w- when people look around that uh, and, and want to do something that we're there. And also, if you look at the research on social media, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and things of this nature, uh, there's all sorts of, especially for the young uh, there's all sorts of uh, uh, dysfunctions connected to that. Uh, an interesting stat, which on the service sounds, well, what's so bad about that? Uh, you know, the, uh, in, in Japan, uh, they're not having sex any longer. Uh, you know, people don't know how to relate to one another. People don't know how to interact with one another. Now you're saying, oh, hey, you know, they're waiting until marriage. Well, no, they, 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 you know, they want sex, they just, they just don't do it. How, what sort of uh, sad existence is that? People at some point are going to want community. If we have a strong community, they're going to look towards us. Uh, because we live in a society with social media and the internet that community is falling apart. Uh, and and there, there, there's a nihilism that comes from that. Uh, and we can offer that, but we can't force it down people's throats. We have to build it ourselves. Uh, if they build it, you know, if you build it, they will come, if you will. Uh, and and I, I, I do believe that, but I think it's a long-term issue. It's not, I mean, and too often we look for the short-term political fix. And that short-term political fix uh, has, has consequences as well. So those are some of the things I've noted that makes me think that what we're seeing is not stable, uh, despite what people may say. I think unless someone has a really quick question, that might be time. Oh, nice. <laughs> Um, it's just interesting through this whole conference and we, we look at the perspective of um, either freedom. Last night in a, in a, a panel, today we talk about uh, Christian phobia in North America. And we see it from the rest Western world, yet you look at, let's say, North Korea or other closed countries that have seen persecution for, mm. seems like forever, and, yeah. and in parts of China and all that. 
do we maybe look at, or have, are we not looking at maybe North America that this is our turn? Where we, what have we really gone through in North yeah, America for, right. as far as persecution against Christianity? Yeah. Is you, just your opinion? Do you think it will continue? That it will get a lot worse? Um, yeah, I think it's a, well, a couple things. First, I don't talk about persecution here in North America, even though I do talk about discrimination, because I, I differentiate that from what's happening in China. Uh, but I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, I think that I think, and that's why we have to weather. I, I mean, I think we should expect it to get worse before it gets better, uh, and it gets better when we have a community and we can weather it and then come out the other end. But there's, I, I don't see any, if you look if you if you look at the uh, cohorts of what we call the nuns, none of the above people who are not religious. They're growing in smaller cohorts, and so right now it isn't. While it's growing, it's like okay, well you know. Uh, maybe when they get older, some of them will find faith. But the co- in the cohorts, they're growing. So we're going to see, and, and this is in the United States, I, I think it's happening in Canada too, we're going to see uh, in 20, 30 years, you know, uh, these cohorts of very unchurched, irreligious individuals. And of course, more susceptible to Christianophobia. Uh, unless, you know, unless God does the miraculous, I don't see, as a sociologist, I don't see any way around that. Doesn't mean it's going to stay that way for the rest of our human history, but that is what's going to happen in the short term. And that's why we need to get ready. We need to develop our communities, uh, you know, locally and internationally. Let's use me- social media so we can to be connected to one another. Uh, you know, let's let's support each other in that way. But we're going to have to do that because, yeah, we got some times coming. Uh, and just one uh, in the United States. Uh, I'm in an argument with some of my friends who think that, you know, well, we got someone to save us in our president, uh, our current president. Uh, I disagree with them. Uh, even if they are correct, that salvation is only for six more years. And then at some point, you know, that part is not going to be in power. And what's going to happen then? We have all this pent up frustration. So I think we have to think long term, not short term. Okay. I'm- Thank you, Dr. George Yancey.